I'm Paige Waterhouse. And I'm Nabil Reza. From the Cavalier Daily, this is On Record. So Paige, it's October. Yes, it is, Nabil. Happy spooky season. Happy spooky season to you, too. In honor of spooky season, me and my friends are going to do a scary movie night every weekend. Uh, What's your favorite scary movie? I actually don't have one. I'm not a fan of scary movies, not a big horror fan. What's your favorite one? Um, you know, it's really hard. I, uh, my favorite recent one is probably Us. It was, it was really good. Hmm, interesting. Maybe I'll give it a go. But do you know what's scarier than a scary movie? What? College admissions. And we've kind of been dealing with our own little admission scandal here on Grounds. This is true. It was recently revealed in 2017 that the university updates a watch list or a heads up list where undergraduate applicants connected to donors, faculty or alumni of the university are given extra consideration during the admissions process. The CAF Daily first learned from, of this scandal from author Jeff Thomas, who used the Freedom of Information Act to obtain documents pertaining to the watch list. FOIA requests can give people access to the records of public institutions like the university. Thomas frowned through his original FOIA request that students on the watch list would be marked with either A, B, or C level priority and would work with employees from the Advancement Office. Even though the Advancement Office isn't supposed to have any association with the Admissions Office. Only 0.2% of applicants back in 2017 when the story first broke were on the list. What appeared to be donation amounts were noted next to names of some students. Scribbles next to some of the names showed figures such as 500k. The documents obtained had redacted the names of students involved, but when this all came out back in 2017, the student council at the time actually launched an investigation. Nothing came out of it. University officials claimed that it was pretty standard for donors and alumni to reach out on behalf of applicants, and other universities use similar practices to recommend students for admission. The university also said that there was no coordination about the watch list across the admissions, advancement, and administrative offices. However, recently obtained emails by the Cavalier Daily prove systemic coordination between offices. Editor-in-Chief Gracie Kreth and Managing Editor Abby Klukey reported on the email exchanges between Jenkins and individuals associated with the university that discussed the watch list and applicant statuses. These emails were also originally accessed through FOIA by Thomas and document nearly a decade of correspondence. Jenkins was apparently aware that his emails could be accessed this way as he wrote in one 2017 email, Because of FOIA requests, I look forward to discussing this more in person. In their article, Kreth and Klukey said the emails revealed that the university officials thoroughly researched the families of certain applicants and accepted students. For example, emails between Jenkins and Ryan Emanuel, a strategy manager in the development office, discussed the family of a newly admitted high-priority student whose father died after a high-profile, contentious divorce. As noted by Kreth and Klukey, many of the documents show high-profile individuals such as novelist John Grisham, former Board of Visitor member Georgia Willis-Falber, and former University President John T. Castine III emailing Jenkins on behalf of an applicant. An email from Jenkins to Locke Ogens, who at the time was the Chief of Staff for External Relations at the Darden School Foundation, said an applicant's mother was very engaged at Darden, with the word very underlined. Jenkins wrote back, Leonard, Greg, and I met about this one two years ago. We're on top of it. This email reveals that some applicants were flagged for the watch list before entering the university. Even after the first story on the watch list broke, it seemed that some of the players involved were unfazed. One email a University Bird member sent to Jenkins in April 2017, inquiring on a student's position on the waitlist, 
includes the dismissal of the significance of the Washington Post original article on the watch list. The email said, many thanks, John. Hope you're well and ignoring the Washington Post. Good golly, what a joke. Additionally, the emails showed correspondence between Jefferson Scholars Foundation and the Office of Advancement. The Jefferson Scholars, while connected to the university, have a separate application process. In one email, James Wright, the president of the Jefferson Scholars Foundation, wrote to Sean Jenkins a list of flagged applicants, quote, critically important to the foundation of the university. Wright continued, all of the above are of highest priority. University spokesman Wes Hester confirmed coordination between the two offices in a statement to the CAV Daily saying, This practice allows development officers to serve as a buffer with those who have provided prospective student endorsements during the admissions cycle. According to admissions statistics provided by Hester, 43% of applicants flagged by the investment office were waitlisted compared to 13% of the total applicant pool, meaning the applicants flagged by the university had a better chance at the waitlist. In 2019, only eight students off the advancement watch list were offered admission, making up 0.08% of the admission offers. Like we previously mentioned, mentioned, though, after Watchlist was first publicized in 2017, Student Council conducted an investigation but found no evidence of admissions decisions being changed as a result of donations to the university. The new information about how the Watchlist works spurred Student Council to vote on a new resolution condemning the practice of the Watchlist and the related correspondence. However, the resolution failed to pass earlier this month. As reported by news editor Jen Bryce, Student Council's executive board issued a statement before the October 1st meeting that said, The ability that wealthy donors and alumni have to alter the admissions process runs contrary to that responsibility. If the university wishes to be both great and good, these practices must end. And executive members of the Student Council clarify that they still stand by this statement on the matter, despite the fact that the formal resolution has not been passed. Third-year college student Amr Metwali said during representatives' discussion on the resolution that he believed student council should consult university faculty for clarification on the practice. Metwali said, I'd love if someone came from one of these respective offices and talked about this, because, as we've all discussed, it is absolutely unacceptable for something like this to be going on. But I also want to see what the university is doing to make sure that this isn't what we think it is. Fourth-year college student and student council president Ellie Brasacchio told Bryce that she was disappointed about the decisions of the council, saying, I think we have as much information as we're ever going to get on the issue, and my stance is still the same. With us now, we have the writers of the original article detailing the emails, Cavalier Daily Editor-in-Chief Gracie Kreff and Managing Editor Abby Klukey. Hi, I'm Abby Klukey, and I am the managing editor for the Cab Daily. And I'm Gracie Kreth. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Cavalier Daily. And we're here to speak to them about the recent article um, on the watch list. So um, could you give us the history of the story, starting with 2017, and then how you guys got the new um, documents? So in 2017, an author named Jeff Thomas, who works out of Virginia, FOIA documents from the university that revealed the existence of an admissions watch list that applicants who were connected to donors, faculty, and other university alumni were able to get a second review for their applications in the admission cycle. And they were flagged as high-priority applicants. And so when that existence of the watch list first broke, the Cab Daily obtained the documents through the author Jeff Thomas, who had used the Freedom of Information Act to look into the VIP applications that were tracked by the advancement and admissions offices. And 
after that story broke. Student Council conducted an investigation into the practice, but they had found ultimately that there wasn't enough evidence. So Student Council chose to not take any further action on that issue, and people largely forgot about the whole thing. So two years later, a couple weeks ago, Jeff Thomas came into the Cavalier Daily office with a box of 500 FOIAed emails that were between um, admissions personnel, advancement personnel, and people from the administrative office at the university that were all showing coordination about this watch list. So previously, the university had said that people from separate offices didn't really talk about the watch list, and there was no coordination over getting certain applicants into the university. But these emails revealed that people from across offices were talking about this very in-depth. Well, they, they were talking about certain applicants, certain and applicants. they were passing information back and forth yeah. about those applicants. Yeah, it shows systemic coordination across the offices on the subject of the watch list, which previously they had denied. So can you tell us a little bit about the student reaction or just the UVA's community's reaction to the most recent information that has been published? I would say some students were just as outraged as they had been in 2017, but others were not surprised. It was kind of just a controversy of whether this is a big deal or not. This whole system, like we don't know this for sure, but it kind of seems to be set up to appease donors by putting them through this whole process and kind of catering to what they want, which is to get these applicants into the university. And only eight students per year actually get, well, from last year, got in off the watch list, which really is not a super huge number. Um, It doesn't really seem that significant, but there were also a lot of people that were on the wait list. So you have 110 people on this watch list, and that's double the number Mm -hmm. than the watch list was in 2017. Um, However, of those 110 students, only eight students got in, and then about half of them were put on the wait list. We haven't yet to obtain more information on wait list statistics, and if we're able to get that from the university. Um, But it could be just a way that the university is maneuvering around donors in order to appease them when their um, friends or family apply to the university. But I think it's also important to note that the university said that they halt donation conversations when someone um, from the donor's family is applying in that cycle, in the admission cycle. Yeah, so they say that those two processes are completely separate. So you said that you got um, a pretty significant dump of documents. Do you think that more stories will come out of that? Basically, we took the highlights from the 2017 documents. So those emails spanned from like around 2011, 2012 to 2017. And we didn't have anything past that because that was when he had sent in his request. One of the reactions to the article that you guys published has been a proposed resolution in student council. Can you guys tell us a little bit about um, your understanding of that and the reporting on it? Yes. So the executive board of student council, when the article came out, they published a statement condemning the practice and asking the university to stop keeping a watch list. Um, And then that following Tuesday, they had a meeting in which they voted on this resolution, um, which would essentially just again, asked the university to stop this practice. Um, And it was a pretty split vote. What was important about it was 
about a third of people voted yes, about a third voted no, which eventually um, passed more, more of them. More people voted no, um, but a considerable amount of people abstained from the vote, which was really, really interesting given that they are elected um, representatives. Regardless, it was a big debate of if the watch list even matters too much to come out against it. A lot of people say that it's common practice of other universities. Again, we don't have any information to prove that, but the Darden representative stood up and said, guys, this is the real world. Which I think just kind of sums up the other side of the argument. Um, but then again, the president of student council, Ellie Brasacchio, said that it puts out a barrier for low-income and first-generation students um, for other people to have a second review and not giving the same weight to the other applicants. But like you said, the resolution did not pass. The executive board and Ellie herself wrote a another letter that was sent out to the university community via email on that Friday, um, again, condemning the practice. And I think that Ellie and some of the other people on student council who were pushing for this vote are concerned because the people who are getting a second review are not the people who need it. You know, they're the people who are connected and already basically have a better chance than someone who has absolutely no connections at all. So that's kind of why people are pretty upset. Yeah. All right. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Hey, so we're here with James Reed, second year graduate student at the Batten School and Batten Graduate School representative on student council. We're interviewing him today because he has some opinions regarding the watch list resolution passed by student council, specifically why he voted against the resolution. How are you today, James? Doing well, thank you. So would you contribute the failure of the resolution um, to the resolution itself or more the handling of the resolution trying to push it through? Uh, I would say a bit of both. I think that there were a lot of people who abstained, who were not comfortable, who wanted more information and did not feel like they were at a point where they were able to make a vote one way or another. Um, and all those abstentions is is ultimately what led to failing to reach a majority of the votes of those present. So following the failure of the resolution, the executives um, published a statement that went out to all students, um, sort of restating the resolution, but only from the executive committee. What was the reaction to that within the general um, student council body? I have to say that I think it's probably within the president's or within Ellie's prerogative to do so. Um, I would have wished that perhaps it had been discussed because I think it's a little unusual to have a piece of legislation fail and then essentially try to circumvent that legislative process. Um, To be fair, she did make it clear that it was not coming from the representative body and that it was from uh, the executive board. Um, But in any case, I still think... uh, I still think it would have been good for there to be some more communication and discussion about that piece of legislation before that sort of statement would be released. With the way that the student body is tending to read this situation, do you think that um, there should be more clarification either from um, administration or from student council to try to um, set a narrative that, um, is, that you believe is closer to the truth? Sure. I think that I think that part of the issue is that admissions should really be a generally closed off process. Um, I think that those sort of admissions deliberations 
by necessity need to be private, both for privacy concerns as well as for ensuring the integrity of that process. Um, if the admissions office were to come out and say exactly what they consider in which way and how every piece of information is considered, uh, that would make it possible for people to really game the system. Um, because of that, I don't think we're necessarily going to get more information from admissions directly, um, which I think is a good thing because I think those processes need to be kept private. Do you think that um, as a grad student, your perspective on the issue is different from the general undergrad perspective? I believe so. Um, uh, and thank you for asking that question because I think I bring not only my perspective as a graduate student, but also my perspective as a double who. So I came to UVA originally in 2008, so class of 2012. And I then came back for my studies at Batten. And in the time in between, I actually worked at a research lab here at UVA. Uh, throughout my professional life, both working at a research lab. In my work there, I came to appreciate the importance of adequate and substantive analysis of data. Um, conclusions in any sort of uh, real, uh, in, in any sort of policy matter or even research or scientific matter require a great deal of rigor to ensure that you're coming up with the right conclusions based off of what information you have. Because of that perspective, I really did not find that the conclusions uh, that this watch list is somehow causing harm to be supported by the evidence that we have available. I guess I would just like to sum up that based off of my professional experience working and my time uh, studying at Batten, which is, a, again, a school of policy analysis where we really take into account evidence and how to make uh, how to make policy decisions based off of evidence. Um, the reason I voted against the resolution is that I was not confident that the evidence matched the conclusions of the resolution, and I could not, in good conscience, vote for it because of that. All right. Thanks so Thank much. We're here with Jacob Ash. Jacob, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Jacob Ash. I'm uh, a fourth year in the College of Arts and Sciences, and I'm the executive editor for the Cavalier Daily. And Jacob, can you explain to us what prompted you to write the opinion piece about the watch list? Well, when I was first on staff in my second year, a similar story broke where um, the administration was basically keeping a heads-up list of students to give preferential admissions treatment. And while the total number of students being affected by this incredibly special treatment was relatively small, I felt it was important to situate that treatment in the wider admissions landscape that basically prefers the wealthy over who deserves it. So as you've touched on right there, most evidence points to the watch list having very little impact on the admissions process as a whole. So why do you still believe it should be abolished when the money that the schools obtaining from donors could be used to help other aspects of the university? Well, there's significant evidence about how courting donors doesn't exactly um, translate to increased donations. This model of seeking donors in order to grow the university's endowment, if that theory would, were true, would have increased to a higher number of, of low-income students going to selective colleges, which is just not the case. Today in America, uh, 
if you're born in the top, bottom fifth of the income distribution and you have really high scores and grades, you are less likely to go to a prestigious college than the worst percentage of the richest top 20%. That is something that is fundamentally flawed. And I think it, we need to rethink our mission as a public university that should not be giving preferential treatment to certain groups over others just based on money. So in your view, do you feel like the watch list can exist in any form? Not at a public university. Expending any resources to a group just based on their wealth and not because of their aptitude goes against the mission of the university to promote socioeconomic diversity and also to promote social mobility. As a public institution, it has a duty to all of its citizens, not just those who could pay to get through the door. So could you comment a little bit on the recent failure of the student council vote? Um, Did you support the resolution that was trying to be passed? I did support the resolution. Basically, um, it is reminiscent of a column I wrote back in my second year about student council's failure to basically take any concrete steps to address the admission scandal. But ultimately, they have limited power and can't really force the administration to do anything but the failure to pass a resolution that, frankly, would have just demonstrated that this practice was wrong was a little disappointing. All right. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thank you for having me. On Record is written by Jackson Postal, Peyton Guthrie, Will Bird, and Abigail Quinn. The show is produced by Grace Fluharty and Sarah Dunkley. Our editor is Abby Kluke. I'm Nabil Reza. I'm Paige Waterhouse, and this has been On Record. Thank you.